Happy New Year. I don't think I've seen some of you since Christmas, and I trust your uh, year has gone great. How many of you still have your New Year's resolutions? I don't see a hand at all. I try to ask that about every year, about mid-January. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to have to shorten it up and just uh, maybe last week I should have asked that. But I trust that you are well. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm already off to a great start. I'm looking forward to our trip. Many in the church are going and headed to uh, the Holy Land, and it's going to be great. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, lots of new things going on in our lives, lots of wonderful activities. And, you know, one thing that I enjoy about the start of a new year is getting a new calendar. Yeah, anybody else like that? I just like that new, fresh now, I use Outlook or the Google Calendar. I, I certainly do, but I, I like that uh, calendar that I have that I can look at and mark on and see what's going on. And i got to tell you, my calendar has already exploded. It, 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 it's amazing how many things out there compete for our time and clamor for our attention, just battle us and arm wrestle us and I wonder today if you are managing your calendar or if your calendar is managing you. And that's why we're off to a new series here that we're entitling it Margin, Making Room for What Really Matters. Because if you stop and think about it, there are all kinds of things that we just give into or we take on uh, and, and all of a sudden our lives are even more convoluted. We've even got more things happening in our life. Now, I want to give you an example today, and I know I'm going to get some pushback on this from home, but uh, put this next slide up here, Facebook. Now, just think about it. How much time do we spend on Facebook? I was at a meeting here not long ago, and uh, they said, now, what's the first thing that everybody does in the morning? Somebody said, well, go to the restroom. No. Get your eyeglasses. No. It's pick up your phone and look at what's going on in the world on Facebook. I was kind of taken back about that. But, you know, we spend now, they're telling us, nearly an hour a day on average on Facebook. And this is higher than any other leisure activity that's recorded by the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. You know, there's people out there that survey those kinds of things. They say the only thing that's really larger than that in terms of our leisure activity is TV watching, which is about 2.8 hours a day. But this is an activity that we all seem to engage in, and all of a sudden it takes on a life of its own. And before you know it, you've blown an hour on it. It's more, they say, than exercise, more than the time we spend reading. It's more than the time that we spend uh, like going to social activities and events. It's almost as much time as we spend eating, which is 1.7 minutes uh, a day. It's a lot of time. And yet, the people out there, the psychologists and the sociologists, they continue to look at this thing and examine it, and they tell us, like an article that was summarizing the impact, the reorganization that has happened to us with social media, uh, like this uh, uh, American Journal of epidemiology that came out and said the more hours you log on Facebook, the less happy you are in life. 
they're able to tell that people, your, your well-being is declining because we're spending so much more time in this kind of activity. And so I want to ask you today, as we kind of start this year together, as we're in this new series, we're thinking about margin. What is success? What would it look like for you if you were really at peace and if you were content? What would it be like for you if you took a look at your priorities and you lined it up the way you know that it really needs to be, the things that really matter to you, your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, keeping that healthy balance, what would that really look like in your life? So I want us to reflect here for just a moment this text that Sean has read to us in the book of Philippians, this writing of Paul. And as I was kind of uh, looking here at uh, uh, this, this year and everything that's going to come my way, I, I was drawn to these words that Paul said, and particularly in verse 12 in the text where it says here, Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment. Now, don't you want to know the secret of contentment? You know, now early in my ministry, I have to be honest, I was a sucker for the word secret. And in fact, if you would go down to my office today, if you would go to my library at home, you would find a number of books that have the word secret in the title. Uh, the secret to radiant living. The secret to better preaching. The secret to growing the church. The secret of the kingdom of God. What is it about a secret that just kind of uh, speaks to us and it intrigues us and we want to know more? I mean, what is it about that that really kind of grabs our attention and it, and it captures our thoughts and we want to know about the secret. Somehow we feel that, uh, you know, someone, for example, in our life may have lost weight or they may have made a bunch of money in the stock market or they may have found their dream job or, or they may have learned how to play the guitar and we wonder how they did that. Well, if I just knew their secret... If I knew the secret ingredient, if I had the secret sauce, well, I could lose weight too. I've tried this diet. I've tried that diet. Nothing seems to work. I've tried this in the stock market. I've tried to get myself in a position to retire, and I've tried this and I've tried that, and nothing seems to really work for me. And, and somehow, if I just found out this person's secret, I could do it too. I could, I could have that too. And somehow the world just appeals to us that way. And Paul says here that I have learned the secret of being content. Now, I don't know about you, but I would like to know the secret of contentment. I'd like to really understand what I, I need to do to have that kind of rest. E even in the midst of such a turbulent world, how I can have some type of peace of mind and just be in this oasis. Uh, there was a... Uh, I'm not much into comics or the, the comic strips and things like that, but this caught my attention. And I've got a picture here uh, on this next screen. Uh, uh, you know, all this pile of toys, this, this boy there, but I remember a few Christmases ago, uh, anybody remember Dennis the Menace? And, and it was Christmas morning, and Dennis was uh, like hanging out on a pile of toys like this. And Mom and Dad, they were over in the corner, and they each had one gift. 
And the caption read by Dennis Amenis, is that all? But you know what? That's more truth than fiction, isn't it? Is that all? And, and that's why Paul says here, I've learned the secret of contentment. And, and I really don't think that contentment is natural to anybody. In fact, I believe one of the glaring characteristics of human nature is this feeling of being discontent or a little dissatisfied. And Paul says, I've learned here whatever state I'm in, and he's not saying the state of Ohio or the state of Kentucky or Indiana, but he's saying, I've learned whatever my circumstances, whatever the situation I might be faced with, I've learned to be content. And because we live in, in days of so much discontentment, I think it's only natural to kind of desire to know how we can have that kind of deep peace in our life. I want to say that we've really never lived in a time, it seems to me, where we've had so much prosperity, where we've had so much wealth, we've got so much technological advancement and thing at our fingertips, and yet it appears to be that with everything that we have afforded to us, we still seem to be even less satisfied. Somebody said the tragedy of our culture today is that we all have an address, but none of us can be found home there. We're all just on the go. We're going to and fro. We're so busy and so, uh, you know, focused on doing all these things. And Paul says, I've learned to be content. And it's not based on any kind of material prosperity. We live in a time where folks are really discontent. And you want to say, well, sure, Paul, that must be easy for you to say. Uh, you know, you were a great writer. Uh, you probably had money. Epaphroditus in the church was supporting you. Uh, you had a lot of fame and popularity with the crowd. You were building and planning one church after another, and you probably lived in a glass house overlooking the, the Mediterranean Sea. But we know that's not true because Paul already said in the previous chapter in Philippians 3, he said, I, I, I had things and, and I lost it all, and I've counted it as rubbish, as one translation says, or as being useless. All these things that I, that I had didn't make me happy and didn't make me satisfied. You know, if we would really be honest, oftentimes, if, if we would analyze our conversation, we oftentimes speak in respect of, of want. Not need, but want. And when we look at people sometimes, we evaluate them in terms of what they can do for us and not what we can do for them. I'll not soon forget the story of uh, this church further out in the Midwest. I think it was in Oklahoma. It might have been First Methodist. Uh, but the story was, on Sunday morning, the people started to assemble for worship, and they noticed, very uncharacteristically, this, this gentleman that was shabbily dressed, he looked dirty, and he was out in the parking lot, somebody they'd not seen before. And he had long, kind of scraggly hair and smudges on his face. He had stains on his shirt and a dirty ball cap and and uh, you know just rips and tears in his pants and he was looking around the curb of the, of the church and he was uh, kind of looking through the parking lot evidently for change and he went through the garbage cans and he came to rest on the church steps. And people were gathering there and making comments. Well look, look at that fellow. Look at that old bum. He, he's kind of an eyesore right here on Sunday. For our church, can you believe it? And uh, worship started, and uh, people were praising God and singing. And, and about midway through the service, this guy entered the sanctuary. 
and people were kind of taken back. Well, look at this guy. And people were elbowing one another. Well, he's coming right into our church. And he went right down the middle aisle, and he went right up to the platform and got up to the pulpit. And guess what? He pulled off his wig and his ball cap, and it was the pastor. <laughs> and he preached an incredible sermon, they say, that day on compassion. And he said there was only like one or two people that even bothered to see if he needed any help. Now, if you'd be honest today, I think oftentimes we really evaluate people, not in terms of what we can do for them and how we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to offer that loaf of bread and that cup of water, but we look at how people can really help us. We complain today, don't we, all the time about our circumstances. And we whine, we pine, and we recline. We complain the children are too noisy, but yet we're not really being thankful that they're, they're healthy and happy. We complain about our homes. Well, these appliances we have now don't really uh, last very long. Well, there's a lot of people, if you, if you look at the news out in San Francisco and other places, they don't even have a home by the thousands. We complain about our vehicles. We complain about this. We complain about that. And why? I think maybe it's because we really haven't learned the secret of being content. Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment. Now, I've titled this sermon today, Anchored. Maybe it ought to be called the secret society here uh, of, of the content. But there's some things in this text I just quickly want to lift up to your attention today and to help us think a little bit deeper about our margins in life, our priorities in life, how we're living our life. The first thing that I would say to you is found here in this, uh, in this first phrase here, in this, uh, this first verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in you. I rejoice greatly in you. I rejoice in the substance, in the provisions that God has given to me. I'm grateful. I know things are, are challenging, but I know God knows my needs, and I'm thankful for what God has blessed me with. You know, I'm told about the story over in West Virginia. Uh, the story goes there was this pilot who passed over the hills of West Virginia. And every time he got to one spot, this one valley, uh, this one area, he'd kind of look down and really study it. And, and uh, he, he just was so fixated on this one area. And the co-pilot one time asked him, said, why are you so, you know, focused on this, this place here? And, and uh, that we're passing over, this, this little valley. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. You know what? Uh, if you look down, this is where I used to be. You see that stream down there? He said, when I was a kid, I was down there fishing, and an airplane would pass over, and he'd say, I wish I was up there flying. And now I'm up here flying, and he said, and when I pass over, I'm looking at that stream, and I wish I was down there fishing. <laughs> and isn't that the way it is? in our life that we can't find this satisfaction Paul says here I, I've, I've learned to be content with what I've been blessed with now I want to say to you today that this is not pie in the sky this is not any kind of unattainable and unreachable goal but there is a way that you can have contentment and Paul says I found it 
I really think one of the secrets, if you will, of this passage is this word contentment that we find here. It, it's a great word. It really means to be self-sufficient. Now, there's a self-sufficiency that is sinful, to be sure. Kind of a, a haughty pride. Uh, kind of a, I don't need to rely on anything. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul says, I've learned to be self-contained regardless of the, of the circumstances. And God knows your need. Now, Paul had needs, let's be honest. We read the pastoral epistles and we see the needs that Paul had and, and God was well aware of those needs. And God fulfilled, he, he was there and gave provisions and Paul's saying, I'm grateful for that. And still Paul says, I, I've learned to be content with what I've been given. And I've discovered, he says, this inexhaustible source that makes me independent of outside conditions. And Paul is using a word here back in the day that would have been used for the Roman Empire. That they didn't have to look beyond their borders for any kind of resources. They had everything they needed. It was contained within their resources. And uh, they would be able to manage just fine. And that's what Paul is indicating here. Paul said he doesn't need anything from the outside, but he's self-contained. I kind of like what Paul said in another location in the writings there in, in 2 Corinthians 6 and 10. And he said, having nothing, yet possessing all things. What do you say to a person like that? That has nothing and yet possesses all things. He's kind of saying we're wealthy bankrupts. You know, I'll have to be honest here today. Uh, if God grades on a curve, I think I'll pass. I, I always appreciated, you know, it seemed like there, every semester there would be one class where everybody would bomb one Exam, And I was always grateful when the old professor would kind of grade on a curve. And, you know, I got to tell you, I know there's some things in life you just feel like it's impossible to be content with. But Paul says, no, I've learned to be deeply contented. I'm reminded of Psalm 139. It says, God there, the, the, the day and the night are like unto me. And I wonder if that could be said about you. The day and the night are like unto you. A second thing that I want to indicate here is not only this whole idea of rejoicing and being grateful, relying firmly upon God, but a second thing here is you need to understand this needs to be learned. And you're like, oh, pastor, I was afraid you were going to say that. I, I thought you were going to just tell me some, something here special and I go home this afternoon and I have all kind of contentment in my life. But notice here, this is simmer cooking here. This is, this is crock pot work, if you will. We have to learn. It, it suggests this process, this, this kind of lengthy kind of process, this daily walking. And, and not many of us want to go back to school, right? I mean, and notice here, Paul really would suggest to us that we need to get enrolled in the University of Life. And notice the courses here, he's talking about hunger 101, suffering 102, abounding 103, being full 104. Now, in my ministry, I've known a lot of people that have said, boy, I'd like to play the guitar like David knew. Or I'd, I'd like to play the drums like Mike. Or I'd like to play the piano like Jeff Sperry. Or I'd like to play or sing like this person or that person. I want to say, no, you wouldn't. You just want to wake up one morning and have the gift. 
You don't want the practice that comes along with it. You don't want any kind of learning or any of the, the challenge of just trying to understand and practice and get good at it. Paul says here that there's this learning that we go through. Now, I know you're going to go home this afternoon and probably turn on the TV and there'll be all these advertisements that will come your way and they'll begin to say, well, you need this product in your life. It will really add value and you, your life will be so much more content. You'll be so much more satisfied if you just had this or had that. But, you know, we find in this text here, it's not increasing our possessions, but it's really managing and dealing with our desires that while what Paul here is telling us. It's learning that, that at the end of the day, we really need to come to rely on, on one thing. And he tells us here, this third thing that I want to say to you is he says it's here in verse 13. And he says here, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's really the secret, isn't it? Jesus is the one that strengthens us. Jesus is the one that gives us the rest, gives us the peace. He's the oasis, the well of living water that makes you so self-sufficient. You know, maybe you've heard the story about the man who was rather wealthy, lived in England there years ago. And um, he had a small family, and in fact, his wife died early in life. And he had one son, and the son was the apple of his eye, and he was going to leave his entire estate. And he had this really wonderful art collection. I mean, it was worth maybe a couple million dollars. Back in that day, it was a lot of money. And uh, he was going to leave it all to his son. But then came... World War II, and the man's son died in World War II. And he had no one to leave his estate and all of his belongings to, and he was just devastated. Well, the man finally died, and he had this will drawn up. And uh, according to the will, his estate, all of his belongings, this, this art collection was to be auctioned off. And so uh, that word went out, and people from all over the world, they gathered there for this... Uh, this art collection, they wanted a piece of some of these really fine pieces of art. And the lawyer got up and he said, well, according to the stipulations of the will, uh, we first of all have to auction off a picture, this portrait of this man's son. Well, no one knew the son. He, he was only in his early 20s and he had done nothing famous and no famous artist had painted this picture. And, uh, but the lawyer said, well, as the executor, this is what we have to do. This portrait has got to be auctioned off. There was only one person that happened to be there that day that knew the son. And it was a guy that used to work with the family and knew this man and knew his son. And he wanted a memento for himself. He said, I really thought a lot of this, this, this man and his son. They meant a lot to me, and I want something to remember him by. And so he bid on it. He was the only one that bid on it. And uh, all of a sudden, the lawyer said, well, it's going. Is anybody else here want to bid on it? Going? Gone. Sold to this man right over there. And this man got up with a tear in his eye and went up to the platform and picked up the portrait and went and sat back down. The lawyer got up and he said, ladies and gentlemen, this auction's over. Or they said, according to the stipulation here in the will, whoever got the man's son got it all. I wonder today if you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, 
because at the end of the day, that's what really matters. That is where you're going to find the contentment when you come to rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to join me in a, in a moment of prayer. I want to have our, um, our praise team to come back as we, uh, we center ourselves for just a moment here as we're launching out into this year and just so many things that are just clamming, clamoring for our time and attention that we might just uh, extend this opportunity here to those that might need to renew the relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray today that your spirit will be upon the hearts of your people. For Lord, we know there are so many things to keep us busy, so many things to keep us running, and we keep taking on more. We say we're overwhelmed and, and we've got lots on our plate, but yet one more thing materializes and we just go ahead and take it on. And, and we seem to carve out things like that for our walk of faith, but yet we, we turn away from you when we spend less time reading the Bible and going to church and serving you. God, we pray today that your spirit would be upon our hearts today. We pray for those who are discontent. Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would be upon them. That way they would say yes to you that you would flood their heart with that joy and tranquility. They might find, Lord, that healthy balance in life and have you as their top priority. Let it be, oh God, we pray.